Well, good morning, everybody. It is so great to be back. I know you've seen me on Sunday mornings, but I've missed Saturday nights. We had a dance recital last week, and the week before that, we had a family wedding. And I so appreciate David and Brandon, who just do such a great job. They're on rotation anyway, but especially, yeah, go ahead. I, I really wasn't looking for you to applaud them. Anyway, moving forward. Happy birthday to Brooklyn. You say birthday, yes, this is her birthday. And mom and dad, what a great job, right? Raising her to know the Lord, this is what we do. And your responsibility from this point forward is to celebrate this day every year, just like you do all of the other things like your birthday. Make sure that she always remembers this moment. So many times we get up into our 30s or 40s and, and we can't remember that day. And my family, every year we, we go out to eat whatever their choice is, but we talk about everything that went on in those few minutes in the water. And it just brings it back every time. And each one of us should practice that in our lives as well. We should never, we should never forget Speaking of birthdays, Kyle Mayfield yesterday, one of our career military, our firefighter uh, in New Albany, fire marshal, uh, wish him a happy 50th birthday right over here. <clears throat> well, grab your Bible, grab your Bible and turn with me to the first Kings chapter. Isn't it 50? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. 49. <laughs> Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. Now, as indicated by the title of this mini-series, Kings and Kingdoms, this is where we're at in the journey of the Israelites, okay? We come to this point where God has allowed them to have an earthly king. Do you remember their request a few weeks ago back in 1 Samuel 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 20? God's people said, we want a king then we will be like all the other nations. <laughs> now, we struggle with that, don't we? There's always someone that we want to be like, whether it's a person we work with, whether it's someone we sit next to in church. There's always someone that we want to be like. And unfortunately, many of our kids today grow into adulthood looking for the support, the affirmation of people, people that they look up to, people that set an example, good and bad. We want a king like all the other nations have. They said the problem is, is that all the other nations around them at this point are idol worshipers. All the other nations around them do anything but worship the God of the Bible. We want a king like all the other nations. Those other nations are destined for a godless eternity, save, save that they come to know the true and living God. And how would they come to know the true and living God? It's the entire purpose of the Israelite nation. God raised up this nation that we've been reading about. And the entire purpose of that nation was to point everyone to him, the one true and living God. 
But they're so stuck in this world that they're living in that they think it would be better to be like everyone else. It's been a problem for us since the very beginning. Now, it's also during this period of the kings that we're introduced to the prophets. Many of you have seen the prophets already in Scripture, and this prophet that we're going to look at today, Elijah, is one of the most famous. He he appeared in the New Testament as well on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus met with he and with Moses. God's spokesmen, men who were called, who were placed, who were commissioned by God, they would come alongside of these some 38 kings that were allowed by God over time. They would come alongside of these 38 kings and help point them back. They would speak on God's behalf how to lead this nation, this now divided nation, back to God. Now, with that in mind, we jump right to the middle of an account where God has sent his prophet Elijah to confront the current king, a guy by the name of Ahab, and the idol worship capturing the attention of God's nation. And in 1 Kings chapter 18, we read something really familiar. Uh, You'll remember it when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and found the people worshiping a golden calf. Uh, You'll remember it in Joshua when we came to the end and and he said, as for me and my family, this is who we're going to serve. We're going to serve the Lord. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 39, the Israelite people proclaim the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to go back and we're going to see what led them to this point. And what we're going to see is that this nation, this nation that was created by God for God to point the world to God, they're at best fence walkers. Uh, anybody remember that term, you know, walking the fence? The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. We, we see it happen all the time. We live out in the country and there's cattle around us, there's horses around us, and they stick their heads right through the fence, through the barbed wire. Sometimes they get their front half through there, they get stuck. And what are they doing? They're wanting what's on the other side of the fence. The problem is, is that what's inside of the fence is everything that they need. Green pasture, a shepherd, a farmer who makes sure that they're fed, who makes sure that they are protected. They're with others like them, other cows, other horses. But yet on the other side, they think that there's something better awaiting them, and it's freedom. But freedom from what they don't know. What we find in our text is that the Israelites are not just walking the fence. They have been walking it through every king. But now they're living outside of the fence opposite of their shepherd God. And this king by the name of Ahab has opened the gate. Chapter 16, if you'll go back just a little bit, we get introduced to who Ahab is. Ahab, son of Omri. Chapter 16, verse 30. Ahab, son of Omri, I just call him Omri so I can remember his name, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Now, wouldn't you like to be known as that? Dave Colbert did more evil than his father Keith could have ever thought of. Wouldn't you like to be that benchmark, right, for doing the most evil? 
Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial, meaning what difference does it make to commit the sins of Jeroboam. You'll remember Jeroboam, Rehoboam, some of the previous kings, all of which turned the people's heart away from God. It didn't matter to him that he committed the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel. He went outside of the kingdom just as God told him not to. He went outside the kingdom and he married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbel, kin of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. Now, who is Baal? Baal represents for us, and, and you'll see that, that title given to idols throughout the Old Testament. But what Baal represents is anything, anything that you and I lift up in our life, give more attention to than we do God. Sometimes it's a carved statue. Sometimes it's just something that you pray to, someone that you, that you try to satisfy in order to get things back, like, like Baal. He was responsible, so to say, for the rain to come on the land. And so he worshiped Baal. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built, Ahab built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole. Now, who's Asherah? Asherah is the goddess of sexuality. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting that all the way back, just like we today, the people have elevated sexuality above God. And so they've got an Asherah pole there symbolizing the worship of Asherah. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. Now, one of the things that we see over and over through these 38 different kings that God allows is that when the people reject God, they are on a downhill slide. And about the time they get to the bottom, they'll cry out. They'll cry out for something because they're usually in the middle of a famine, a drought. Something will happen that causes them to cry out to God. And the same is true in your life and mine today, is it not? Are not those the times, even as faithful followers of Christ, isn't it when we're at the bottom that we cry out to him the most? When we choose to worship the Baals of this world, what, whatever your Baal is, when we choose to worship the Baals of this word, world, listen, God will allow us to experience famine and drought every time. And that's what he does in chapter 17. In chapter 17, as you read this week, I don't think chapter 18 was in our reading, but chapter 17 was. In chapter 17, we see that God sends a drought he sends Elijah to Ahab the first time. Says, Ahab, Ahab, there's going to be a drought. There's not going to be rain. There's not going to be dew. There's not going to be any form of moisture for the next three years until God says that there's going to be rain. And for three years, there was no rain, no dew, no drop of moisture to be had. And what does that lead? That leads to famine. That leads to starvation. Yes, hungry people, no food. Now, three questions before we dive too deep into this account. 
that I want you to answer in your life this weekend. Sometimes we question, right, what these stories, these accounts from the Old Testament, how we're supposed to look at them, how we're supposed to apply them to our life. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 addresses this in its entirety. It says that these things, these choices that the Israelites made are recorded to serve as a warning to us. That when we feel secure in what we're doing, just about then we are setting ourselves up for a fall. And that fall is a fall from grace. You can lose You can step outside of God's grace. And that's why these stories, these accounts are so important because that's what has happened to these people. They have fallen. They have stepped outside of God's grace and his blessing. Chapter 18, verse 17. Three questions I want you to answer in your life this weekend. The first is what bales do you have in your life? And you I don't have any idols. There's nothing that I put ahead of God. Really? Nothing? You've not stayed home from worship because you're tired from work? You've not found a church to stop and worship God in when you've been on a vacation because it's your time off? Your children... You've missed a whole weekend because they had a ball game in Indianapolis at 12 o'clock on a Sunday. You could come to Saturday night. It's not being legalistic. It's determining the elevation that you've given God or you've given these other things in your life. And, And we've all got bales. We've all got things that we have put before God. What bales do you have? Number two is has God allowed circumstances in your life? Has he allowed a time of famine? Are, are you hungry right now and, and your bail's not satisfying you? Is it possible that God can use that to get your attention? Just like he's getting the attention of his people here. And the third question I want you to answer today for certain is who are you going to ultimately choose? (laughs) These people chose over and over again to elevate something or someone above God. Are we going to be different and ultimately choose him, or are we going to continue to go back to our Baals? Well, in chapter 18 of 1 Kings, God sends this prophet by the name of Elijah. This is his second trip back. He's been gone for some time. If you read the whole account, you see that that all of the prophets of God, some of them have been hidden by a man named Obadiah. The others have been killed off by Jezebel and by these prophets of Baal, these prophets of Asherah. Verse 17 says, when Ahab saw Elijah coming, he said to Elijah, is that you, you troubler, of Israel. Isn't it interesting how the problems we bring on ourselves are always pointed to someone else? It's always someone else's fault. And Elijah comes back, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. For generations now, you've brought this trouble. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. 
You bring with you the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And so Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and he said, how long? How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then make him so. Follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people said nothing. Uh, maybe there's a lot of other things I should have hung on in the scripture. But that last statement is the one that caught me. The people said nothing. Now you would think after they have been sacrificing even their own children, child sacrifices to this inanimate being that doesn't speak, that does nothing, has no power or authority other than that given to him by the people, just like the idols in our life. You would think that they would speak up right then and say, Baal's it, Baal's the king. But they don't. They're obviously, they're obviously not following God, the God of the Bible. They sure don't declare him as God. And that's what I find interesting is that even though these people have given their life over to Baal, they have sacrificed so much to him that they still aren't sure. <laughs> they still aren't sure. And you know what? I think that those of us who struggle with elevating other things above him, we aren't sure either. We aren't sure either. This has been true in every swing of God's people when they've rejected him. We so often reject God for someone or something we know. We know deep down isn't going to last, isn't going to fulfill, isn't going to come through, isn't going to provide. I made a list of some of the more obvious bales in our life. The first is sin, right? Sin, you can just put a whole bunch of bales under that general topic of sin. You say, you mean I'd lift sin before God, yes, we do. We do. All of us sin. And sin isn't just limited to those living with someone who aren't married. Sin isn't just limited to people who go out and get drunk at graduation parties or wedding receptions. Sin isn't just limited to people judging other people. Sin isn't limited Sin isn't limited to, to worry and anxiety that we allow to continue to get further and further out of control, right? Sin is never a bail for us. 1 John 1 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. <laughs> so let's just be honest. What sin in your life have you placed above total allegiance to God? And be honest about it. That's a bail for you. Sin, doubt. Anybody in here doubt like I do? I tell you, it only takes one person, one person to question something or to, uh, to have a different opinion. And I just, I just go into this whole thing of, well, are they right? 
Is that true? Should I, should I make an adjustment on this? Whether it's doubting our own abilities and gifts or just plain old doubt. I, I remember the time that I walked into an architect's office, engineer's office, and right there on the cabinet, I know I've told this story before, right there on the cabinet was a little picture magnet. And, and at first glance, I looked and I thought it was a monkey. I was like, why does he have a picture of a monkey? And then I looked closer and I was like, why does that monkey have oxygen on and a bandage on its arm? And that monkey was his grandchild, was a premature child. But in that flash of an instant, I looked at that picture and I thought, could it be? Could God have used evolution? No, he couldn't. But we all have those momentary doubts. We all do. But when we put those doubts above searching the scripture to know God, then we have made our doubts an idol. We're like infants, Paul said, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Circumstances, circumstances in our life. Maybe you don't have any doubts. Maybe you see yourself as a good person. Let's say that you've been blessed with a job, a job that has you working six days a week, right? As some of you do. You've been very blessed with work. But because of that circumstance that in some cases is a, is a blessing that God's allowing you to provide for your family that week, in some cases it becomes a sin. Why? Because on Sunday morning we decide that that time's ours and not God's. Well, I've got to rest sometime. Circumstances. Maybe it's your fear of crowds. Uh, there are some of you who feel sometimes fearful in a room like this where people are crowded. But yet you go to Walmart and it's just fine. You see how we elevate that to be a God in our life? Circumstances, good and bad. Anxiety can be a bale that keeps us from God. And then other people, maybe it's your commitment to your kids. There's nothing wrong with being great parents like the newbies down here. I, I just, I see my little girls, they're, they're just a few years behind mine and I see what they're doing to parent them and how they're growing up and the manners that they have. But sometimes don't we elevate our children to a place we give them things, resources, instead of giving them to God. I had a guy tell me one time, he said, I'm sending my kid to Bible college, and so I consider that my tithe. Really? Really? Uh, how does God feel about that? Because he said to bring it to the storehouse, not send it to some college. Sometimes we elevate our kids. I remember during COVID and, and we'd gotten back to gathering and a friend of mine who has grandchildren, new grandchildren, he didn't come to worship for a few weeks. And, and I called him. I said, where are you at? And he said, well, my kids said that if I come to church, I can't be with the grandkids. And I said, so 
your kids, a really close friend, so I was able to do this. Don't do this to anybody on the street. But I said, so your kids, you're really going to make your kids an idol above God? Well, well they, they won't let me see the grandkids. I said, I bet. I bet it won't be two weeks and you get to see those grandkids. He came to church that weekend, and you know what? Before he got home, his kids were calling him, when can we bring the grandkids over? <laughs> but we put other people above God. Sometimes it's us that's the bail. We're worshiping our needs, our enjoyment, our ego. But every bail, my friends, even if it's you, will lead to famine and drought. At Elijah's request, Ahab gets all the people together. He gets all 850 of these prophets, these false prophets. And in verse 22, Elijah said to them, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left. And, and listen, that's a whole other part and a whole other chapter of his story. But he really felt that way. Why did he feel that way? Because we all do. There are times that all of us who make God God feel like we're the only one who rules our children a certain way. We feel like we're the only one that stands back at work and doesn't participate in certain things. We think we're the only student that won't go to practice on a Wednesday night because they told the coach ahead of time, I can't be here on Wednesdays. I go to church every other week. Elijah said to them, I'm the only one of the prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get us two bulls. Let them choose one for themselves. A bull is a sacrifice. It's an offering to God. And let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but don't set fire to it. In other words, get your offering ready, you guys. I, Elijah, will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, I'll call on the name of my God, the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. What's Elijah doing? He's putting the choice front and center. And my friends, God will put that choice front and center in your life and mine over and over again until we choose. Until we choose one or the other. Second Peter 3, 9 says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. Don't mistake his patience. Don't mistake that you're not in a drought right now in your life. Don't mistake that for him giving you a pass and having an idol in your life because one day his patience will run out and it'll be too late. Elijah says, let's get something that both of our gods want. Let's get an offering. Let's build an altar. You call on your God. Verse 26, that's what they do. These 850, they call on the name of Baal from morning to noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. This goes on for six hours. And Elijah, I would have done the same thing. He goes up to them. He says, hey, hey, maybe he's asleep. Yeah, maybe you need to shout a little bit louder. They try, no answer. Hey, maybe he's on vacation. 
right? Maybe he's out of town. All things notice. He's not just making fun, but he's describing God to them. Our God does not sleep. Our God never leaves us alone. They shouted louder and louder. They slashed themselves with swords and spears. This was their custom. This was part of what they did to worship this animate God. They let blood flow from their body, and they continued all the way into the evening, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. I see it all the time. We try to prove our bail to be something that he isn't. The sacrifices that we make are sure a heck of a lot more than a bull. We sacrifice our children. We sacrifice our morality. We sacrifice our health. We sacrifice our conscience. We sacrifice our integrity. And the truth is, there isn't a bail out there that will answer, but God will. Scripture says that if your bail is sin, the pleasures of sin will eventually pass you'll realize that you are in the middle of a pit. The Bible says that if it's doubt, doubt will always answer with more doubt. Other people will always answer with what other people want to hear. But God, God says, before, before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. And that's what God does. Look at verse 30. These prophets of Baal had failed to get an answer. Verse 30 says, then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. I want you to underline, come here to me. They came to him. He repaired the altar of the Lord. Underline, repaired the altar, which was in ruins. Elijah took 12 stones, 12 stones. One of each of the tribes descended from Jacob. Remember the 12 stones that the Israelites stacked on the other side of the Jordan when they came across, a reminder of what God had done. He took 12 stones. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold buckets full of seed. He arranged the wood. He cut the bull into pieces, laid it on the wood. He prepares the offering as it was then. Then he said to them, fill four jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Elijah led the people to do four things, four things that I want to challenge you with this morning. The first is he said, come here to me. Now remember, when a prophet spoke, it was God speaking through the prophet. So when Elijah said, come here to me, that was God. God saying, come here to me. Come home, come back. Let me be the one that I'm supposed to be. Let me be king. Let me be the authority. Joel 2.12 says, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Return to the Lord your God because he's gracious, he's compassionate, he's slow to anger and he's abounding in love. God's calling some of you, many of us this weekend, myself included. I've got a bail that is driving me nuts right now. He's calling us 
to come home, to put him number one again. Second thing is we need to repair the altar. That's what Elijah did. He repaired the altar. And, and the altar represented that connection between the people and God. That's where they would come and, and they would lay what was most important to them before him. Promises. Promises of God, like the deliverance that he had given the Israelites. This is where they would come. And they would thank him. It's no coincidence that they laid down these 12 stones representing the 12 tribes. It was to remind the people, remember, this is the God who delivered you, not the golden calf at the bottom of the mountain that you made. Prepare the altar. If from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. Our altar today, listen, you say, why don't you have an altar call? Well, we do. It's called the invitation to accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life. Why? Why don't we have an altar? Why don't we kneel down? There's nothing wrong with coming up here and praying at the foot of the cross, but don't mistake this as your altar. Your altar is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ repaired the altar for you and me when he went to Calvary, when he gave his life for you and me. He put the altar together. Now we have complete connection with God the Father. Third, Elijah prepared the offering. For him, it was a bull. Prepared the offering. In the New Testament, God describes the offering that he wants today from you and me. And, and let me just say, back when they were offering these bulls and these lambs and all these different things, pigeons, if you were poor, what was God after the entire time? Their heart. Their heart. And so it's no coincidence that in Romans 12, 1, Paul writes, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And so the question for you this weekend is, what have you been given to Baal that you should have been given to God? Remember, these people are in four, the fourth year of a drought. And so I want you to think about him requesting four buckets of water. And four buckets weren't enough. He said, I want you to go back and get more, go back, get more, go back a bit more. So 12 buckets of water they poured on the fire. Was that so God could show off and light some water-soaked wood? Is that what it is? Because today some of us want that. Some of us want that. We see someone like little baby Cleo at the hospital that I got to see the last two days. Today is a huge day for that baby boy because they started him on nitrogen yesterday trying to improve his saturation. It didn't work. And so they gave him an injection of something that will stimulate the growth of blood vessels if it's going to because he is absent of blood vessels. They don't even think he has room in his little broken body to develop lungs, but it's a last ditch effort. And let me tell you, it's so difficult to stand in a room with some of you when you're up against these things. I have held, I've held three stillborn babies with some of you. 
And it's so difficult to not just lay out some flamboyant prayer. God, you told us if we ask anything in your name that you'll grant it. God, we command Satan to get away from this. God, we believe. We claim your promise. And we just go on and on and on. Because, and it's as if we're saying, God, if you show up in this, then you're the one. Everybody will believe. <laughs> but that's not what he wants. What he wants is our complete trust. Our complete obedience. He wants all of us. And so let me suggest to you that this water had nothing to do with God showing up and lighting up this fire of this with uh, wood, uh, water-soaked wood. What do you think that water meant to those people who were living in the fourth year of a drought? Famine, no food. That water was everything to them. And Elijah is saying, Let's give God what's most important to us. And so they put it on the altar. What is it of value that you need to offer God right now? Close your eyes if you, if you won't do anything else and be honest with yourself. Is it a relationship that you need to give him? A relationship that was born in sin, that continues in sin, that you've elevated above God, you need to trust him with that. Is it your family? Is it your children? You're one of those helicopter parents or grandparents? Is it your pride? Is it a past hurt? Is it your marriage? Is it your anxiety? Is it that you want to please people? In verse 36, it says, At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Listen to his prayer. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Ring a bell. Father, I want you to be glorified, not me and my prayer, not me and my sacrifice. I want you to be known. Remember, this was the whole purpose of the Israelite nation was to make God known. Oh, Lord, let it be known today that you're God. I'm your servant. Answer me, oh, Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O oh Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Verse 38, I love it. I wanted to have a propane thing sitting right up here and let it run for about 10 minutes while I was preaching and then just flip a match as I call down fire from heaven. But Bigelow said he'd catch my hair full of hairspray on fire, so I didn't. <clears throat> Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice. It burned up the wood. It burned up the stones. And it licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, 
once again, they said where we started today, the Lord, he's God. The Lord, he is God. The fire of God is an all-consuming fire. It doesn't just barely touch you. He wants it all. He is to consume it all. Offer your body, all of you as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. It's what he wants that we give him. Will you give him you? Will you for once give him all of you? Come to me, Jesus said. Come to me and I'll make you into something. Come to me, Jesus said, and I'll give you rest. You're all caught up in the law. You're all caught up in all these rules. You're all caught up in all of this stuff. And that's not what I'm about. I'm about you and me being one. Will you rebuild the altar? You've already got the altar of Jesus Christ, but will you rebuild the connection between you and Jesus by giving him and trusting him with the things that you have set higher than God? Will you prepare the offering? Will you look at your life and look at every aspect of it and say, God, is this what you want? Because if it is, it's yours. I lay it down, consume it, have all of me. And that's number four. His friends let God have it all. All. The old song we used to sing is so true. Remember, all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence, daily live. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to thee, all to thee, my blessed altar, my savior. I surrender all. This morning, all of us should be making a decision in our seat. All of us something that we need to lay down and exalt him some of us need to do that publicly oh you don't have to say what it is you're to do that with your brother that's close to you so you can be whole but you come and you surrender yourself to him by saying i believe jesus is the christ be baptized into him receive his spirit david's at the next step wall back there. I'm going to be at the cross. Let's stand and let's pray. Well, Father, thank, thank you for the privilege that you give me of being able to stand before these people, having wrestled with your word this week, along with, with wrestling with other things in my heart and my mind, and Lord, allowing these words to penetrate our heart, knowing that you've sorted through them and Probably, Father, people have heard things that I didn't even say that came from you because that's the way you work and that's the way your word works. This morning, Father, we all confess our idols to you. Perhaps we've not recognized them as such until now. Anything we've put before you is that. 
and you detest that, and you will destroy that. I just pray, Father, that we would release it to you before you destroy us. Father, we love you, and we're so grateful for Jesus Christ that when you look at us, you see him not the mistakes that we've made to the past or the things that we've put before you. You see him. Father, thank you that we can have that kind of a relationship with him that we can have with you. Lead us in these next few moments, God. May you remove from our minds those evil things that have distracted us today. Watch over those, Lord, that are sick, that might be watching online. Be with baby Cleo, Sierra, Casey. Father, you have blessed them already. They never dreamed that they would get to hold this child, and they got to hold him. Father, you have blessed them already for choosing life instead of aborting this child as some would have them do. Father, they've trusted you, and they've seen you come through. Today, God, we await your answer in his life. And we pray for courage and strength to align our will, mom and dad's will, with yours. May we do so with every aspect of our life now. In Jesus' name. Amen.